Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we stand before you. And uh, Lord, I just thank you for everything that you do for us. Thank you, Lord, that uh, no matter where we are, you are willing to meet us there. Father, as we're about to read in the 23rd Psalm, even in the shadow of death, we can praise you and fear no evil because you are with us. And Lord, your birth, hallelujah, that was the day that changed it all. The day that it became God with us. And Father, today as we look at what your birth did for us and what your mercy does for us, I pray, Father, that just that would be, that you would be with us because we unite our spirits here this morning and we expect, Lord God, to meet with you. Be among us this morning, Lord, as we study your word. And we praise you in the name of Jesus and all God's children said, Amen. Open your Bible up to the 23rd Psalm and let's read. Be using the King James Version this morning. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. As I read that psalm week after week, Sunday after Sunday, I can't help but notice that God wants to speak to me through it. I can't help but notice that there's something fresh in it every single time. As I read through this psalm, I can see that Jesus is being foretold even here. Because he would come and prepare a table for us. Amen. And, uh, and that's a beautiful thing. I want to take you right now to the Gospel of John. And we're going to turn to chapter 14. I want to give you a little bit of background. Uh, it's, it's been taught in my life often that God speaks to the preacher first. Meaning... That whatever's going on in my life is probably what I'm going to preach on. Because God is speaking to me as I sit before him and, and search for something to bring to his children. He's speaking to me so that I can relay it to everyone else. If you follow me on Facebook, or if you follow my wife on Facebook, uh, then you learned this week that we have a baby on the way. Um, we are beyond excited, beyond grateful to God. Uh, and, and so, with that kind of news, what do you start doing but you start to prepare? 
And so as I sat this week and I started making preparations to turn our spare room into a nursery, I was reminded by God's gentle voice of this passage of scripture that we're going to read. And this is what I heard the Lord say. I heard the Lord say, Eric, if you're willing to prepare a place for your child, how much more will I prepare a place for you? And that stopped me, and and I came straight to Scripture, and it's John chapter 14. Let's read verses 1 through 4. This is what it reads. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Say amen. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Now I want to stop for just a minute, and I want to talk to you about this word prepare. Okay? He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And we often think of this as he's going and and readying a mansion for us, right? Because that's the context that we read it in. But when we remove the word prepare, and we examine just that word in the Greek, okay, the word here is and I'm, I'm not a Greek guy, I'm a Hebrew, I'm a Hebrew guy, remember that. Hitoimazo. Okay? So this is the word that we look at, and it actually is uh, derived from an Eastern language, and the word itself actually meant level the way. And it was used in the terms of, I'm going to prepare the way, make the way for someone to come through. So this would be the word used if you were going to prepare the path for, say, a king, so that the road is smooth. The road is not rocky and rugged, but the road is even. Jesus tells us here in Scripture, I go to prepare a place for you. And when we review that Scripture in light of this one word, how things change. Because now, rather than viewing it as he's he's telling that he's going to the heavens to prepare us a mansion, I believe that God's already handled that. Now he's letting us know that really this is is him foretelling his death yet again. In saying, I'm going to go, bear your sins, wear your cross, be crucified in your place, and level the way. I'm going to make this easier than it has been throughout history. You're not going to have to have the animal sacrifices that that once were required to please God. Instead, I have made the ultimate sacrifice. And I go now to level the way. To redeem you. To sanctify you. Amen? But what does this take? So now I I, I think back to that moment that I spent with God. 
And he says, Eric, if, if you're willing to prepare a place for your child, how much more am I willing to prepare a place for you? What does it take? What does it take to prepare a place for someone? Let me tell you, it takes love. Because without love, you're not going to prepare a place for someone. But Jesus had the kind of love that it takes, has the kind of love, not past tense but present, has the kind of love that it takes to go and prepare a place for us. And just one chapter later in the Gospel of John, John chapter 15 in verse 13, we learn about this love. Are you ready for it? Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Hallelujah. If you remember, God called Abraham his friend. And right here, Jesus lets us know that we too, through his blood, will be friends of God. He has affection for us. Mm. We are his beloved, his dear ones, his children. And he, out of love, goes and prepares a place for us. Now, like I said, this isn't your standard Christmas message. As you see right now, we're kind of heading the direction that we're normally heading on Easter, right? On Resurrection Sunday. But I wanted to start here. I wanted to start with the fact that Jesus said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you out of love. Why? Because Jesus began preparing that place when the place was prepared for him in a lowly stable. Amen? So we're going to jump back to the Old Testament for now. And I want to take you to the book of Isaiah. And in the book of Isaiah, we're going to turn to chapter 9. Okay? And this is a, this is a common prophecy that we read around Christmas time. But I think that even the basic things are okay to revisit. All right? uh, the, now, the, the, the prophecies of Jesus begin um, even further than this, but uh, this is the one that I want to focus on. In Isaiah chapter 9, I want to look at verses 6 through... Okay, 6 through 7, that's fair. Um, so let's read this. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, it says this, The birth of the Prince of Peace, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Yes, we're going to stop already. Unto us a child is born. Jesus will be born for us. Unto us a son is given. He's going to give his life for you and for me. And the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called, can you say it with me, Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, and the peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David 
and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Why did I want to come to this specific passage? It uses a word that we that we get lost in. Maybe we don't understand. The word is government. Okay? This is a special word and a special passage. Because it tells us that the government shall be on his shoulder. And we don't often know how to read that. Does it mean that the government will be on his shoulder because in the early years of Jesus' life, Herod is sending uh, his soldiers out to find him and to kill him? What does it mean? Let's look deeper into this. This word for government in this passage of scripture comes from the Hebrew word misra. Told you I'm better at Hebrew than Greek. Now this is a term for reign or authority. It's used only two times in the entire Old Testament and we just read them both. Okay? So this tells us that this government that is spoken of in this passage of scripture, in these two verses of scripture, the government that is spoken of is the rule and the authority of Jesus Christ alone. Used only twice, both in this prophecy about Jesus Christ. Okay? This is what's unique. This is, this is why I want to come back to the Old Testament after starting in the New Testament. But here in a minute, we're going to go back to the New Testament. But I want you to know this. Okay? This prophecy that we just read in Isaiah chapter 9 was written somewhere around the year 755 B.C. Alright? Now, if you know the basics of Scripture you know that between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, there is a blank page in most Bibles. That blank page represents 400 silent years, a time when God did not speak to people. He was silent. And, and people went about and they were not inspired. And books of history were written rather than books of inspiration. There's, like I had taught several weeks ago, there's much of the Apocrypha that was written during this 400 years. Okay? But this is what we need to know about this particular prophecy that we just read about Jesus. If this was prophesied sometime around 755 B.C., that means that it was prophesied about 335 years before the ministry of Malachi even began. And Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi is the last one to share inspiration from God. Malachi's um, ministry began in the year 420 B.C. If we know that there's about 400 years of silence, well, that gives us about a 20-year period where Malachi would have been ministering before the 400 years would have begun. 
Now that 400 years went on and on. Can you ima- I can't imagine a day of God being silent in my life. Nevertheless, a week, a month, two months, half a month, a year, you name it. I can't imagine it. But 400 years of silence. But God. Amen. Two of my favorite words. But God. The silence was broken by a baby's cry. Amen. There's a lot of years when when you consider that this prophecy was written 755 years prior to the birth of Jesus. When you consider that it's not even the first prophecy, it's not even the first time that we truly see Christ in Scripture. All throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament points to Jesus if you read it well. If you read it with understanding everything from from day one of creation begins to point to Jesus. All of the Hebrew feasts point to Jesus. But now we have the 400 years of silence that are broken by a baby's cry. Hallelujah. And we get to read about the broken silence in Luke chapter 2. And this is what we're going to, this is, this is how we're going to bring this to a close this morning. We're going to read the majority here of Luke chapter 2 so that we don't miss it. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be taxed with his with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn, a son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. I want to pause right there for just a moment. And I want to go back to where we began. I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus began the preparation in even the most lowly of estates. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And they all, and all that they had heard, they wondered at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Some, some translations there say she treasured these things in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told to them. I want to come back to that part of the passage that I said we're coming back to. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Why do I want to revisit this? Because in the story of the birth of Jesus, it is equally important to look at his entire life, including, but not limited to, his death, burial, resurrection, and his promise to come again. Okay? When we look at the birth of Christ, we need to look at the entire story so that we know, so that we are focused on what is still to come and not solely focused on the past. Yes, the past is worth celebrating. It's worth remembering. It's worth giving glory to God. But it's so important for us to know what is still to come. The news of Jesus Christ. The angel tells the shepherd, I bring you good tidings of great joy. I am bringing you good, great news. But it's not just for you. It shall be to all people. And what do we know about the final days? We know this, that there is coming a day that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? 
and it's told to us even here. These tidings of great joy, the news of a Savior, shall be to all people. Not just you shepherds, not just Mary and Joseph, not just the wise men who brought the gifts of gold, of frankincense, of myrrh, but shall be to all people. And the reason that it shall be to all people is because one day the clouds will part and the Lord will descend and trust you me. Every knee will bow to the name of Jesus. Folks, this morning, I hope and I pray that you have been touched. I know that in this house this morning, I have felt the Holy Spirit moving on me. I am excited to share with you the good tidings of great joy. To know that we have a Savior. Amen. To know that that He goes and prepares a place for us. To know that He began preparing the place by preparing first a lowly manger for Himself. He would humble Himself and come to earth as an infant. He would live out 33 and a half years and humble Himself again to carry my sin, to bear my cross, to lift the weight of my burdens. What did I do? But perhaps yell crucify Him. And yet there's great news that I am cleansed, I am redeemed, I am made whole by the blood of Jesus Christ, the living Savior. Amen. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning to recognize what He's done for you. And so if you are if you're hearing the message of Jesus Christ for the first time today, I want you to take the opportunity. If, if you're ready to say, you know what, this guy's making sense. And, and maybe I should live my life for Jesus. I wonder if that would change things for me. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything, I can tell you that. This month is my anniversary as a Christian. I have been a Christian for 20 years this month. And it, and it brings me to tears to think that way. Because I was so young that I honestly, uh, the first time that I went to the altar and I prayed and I received Jesus, I don't know that I actually comprehended the impact that it would have on my life. I didn't know that 20 years later, I would be privileged to serve my Lord in this capacity as a minister. I didn't necessarily know the days of my life that were coming. But I knew one thing. I knew that by making that decision, Jesus would change everything. And I want to give you that opportunity to make that decision this morning. So if you want to receive Jesus for the first time today, I want you to pray this prayer with me. If you want to rededicate your life to Jesus this morning, 
I want you to pray this prayer with me. If you just want to thank Jesus, you know you're saved. You know that you are, you are secure in your faith. That if you should draw your, your final breath in the, in the next minutes, that you will be transported to the arms of Jesus. If you are there, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Just pray it because all people should pray it. Even often, not that we doubt our faith, but that we remember the goodness of God. So Heavenly Father, repeat this after me. Heavenly Father, today I choose to serve you. Father, the words of your Spirit are resting upon my shoulders. The words that you inspired have touched my heart. I know that I have sinned. I know that I have fallen short. And though I feel undeserving, I know that you died for me. And so this day, Lord Jesus, I proclaim that you alone are my personal Lord and Savior. I declare that I am washed in your blood, that I've been redeemed, that I've been renewed by the power and the authority of the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for dying for me. Lead me in your ways that I may serve you for the rest of my life. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you and we give you praise for the people that have said this prayer for the first time today. I thank you and give you praise for the people that decided today was the day to start again. And I give you praise, Lord God, even for those who said it just to hear it. Just to feel the words come out of their mouth again. Lord, today in the name of Jesus, I personally thank you for sending your son. That he would be born of a virgin. Live out life on this earth. And bear my cross. Father, today in the name of Jesus, I pray a blessing. An enormous, uncontainable blessing upon your children who have received this message today. And Lord, now let it rain. In the name of Jesus. And all God's children said, Amen. God bless you. Have a Merry Christmas. And remember that through it all, Jesus is the reason that we celebrate. Jesus is the one that died for you, who came to this earth as an infant with you in mind. God bless you. We'll see you in three weeks, beginning, beginning back again on January 16th. And God bless you until then. Have a good one, and Happy New Year as well. Take care.